Here we're starting here on the top of Tzadi Aleph Ahmed Aleph by the two dots. The Gemara is continuing to discuss the Mishnah. The Mishnah will lay out a general principle about Chashivut and giving significance to certain items that you would carry on Shabbat. The Mishnah makes it clear that even if we say that there is subjective quality to the assignment of significance to an object that you carry, that would only be relevant to yourself, but not to anyone else. Anyone else would not be governed by your personal preferences with regards to size. They'll be governed by the standard shi'urim that are involved. So the Gemara says about that, adam ein ben Alazar. A Mishnah, it's clearly not like Rabbi Shimon ben Alazar, who we had bumped into earlier in the Masechta, the Tanya. Anything that is not normally put away or stored. And people don't put away this type of size or item. But this person decided that he wanted to do such. And he stored it and it was chashuv to him. And then a third party comes in and takes it out. That third party is governed by the machshavah, the person who stored it. The person who stored it, who gave it significance, not only impacts himself, but impacts anybody who carries it. So, Amarav, Amarav Nachman, Hotzi, Rugogeret, Le'achila, Benimlach, Aleh, What happens to an individual who took out a size of a Krogeret, which is the normal size for Achila, something that you would be culpable for? Benimlach, Aleh, and then he changed his mind and decided that he was going to plant it and not eat it. Inami, or the other way around. Took it out to plant it, and then he changed his mind and decided he was going to eat it. Chayav. In both these instances, he is Chayav. Where I says, Pshita, why would you have thought otherwise that he shouldn't be Chayav over here? Since he had the minimum requirement or threshold for both of the uses or utilities of this item, meaning that if he already had Grogogeret, which is the size that would make you Chayav or culpable when you wanted to eat it, that's also plenty of size for Zriah, for planting. Planting has a lower threshold. So if you already met the threshold of the higher one, which is Achila, then why should it matter at this point? Whether he's carrying it for planting or carrying it for Achila, he met the minimum threshold. And just because he changed his mind along the way, why should that change the fact that he's culpable over here? As what the Gemara said, that Pshita, Zilhocha Yikashira, Zilhocha Yikashira. Remember, Shabbat requires Malachet Machshevet. Malachet Machshevet means that you carry out the Malacha, but you carry it out with the intent that you had premeditated that which you had thought about originally. Over here, he's doing Akira and Anacha, which are the two component parts of carrying. Akira means to take it out of the location where it is, and Anacha is to place it down in a new location. But each one of those now is under a different machshava, under a different thought. So maybe you need consistency between your Akira and Anacha. Bechad machshava, v'haleka, and that you don't have over here, Kamash Vilan, that you still are culpable and you still are Chayav. And that's the Chiddush Abrovo over here, that even though your Akira and Anacha are with different machshavot, with different intents, Nevertheless, since you met the minimum threshold for both of them, you are considered to be culpable in this case. Now, this is going to set us up for a framework for a series of questions that play on this idea, which is, Bayrova, Hotzi, Chatzi, Grogeret, Lizria. Takes out half a Grogeret, half of a fig size, which is not big enough for Achila, but Lizria, but it is big enough for planting. So when he took it out, he was culpable, because he had a Machshava to plant, and he took out a size, 
that was relevant for planting. Vitafcha. And then it expanded. It swelled. Benimlach alea And he decides then he wants to eat it. Mahu. What's the din over here? So when he took it out, there was only a size, a requisite size for planting, not for eating. But it expanded. The item swelled over time. And by swelling, it actually reached the minimum size that he needed for Achila. And that's what he did. He changed his mind for Achila. What's the din? So the Gemara says, Imtim Salomar, if you want to suggest. So here the Gemara is going to go through a series of these questions and then present an Imtim Salomar. If you say this is the answer, then what's the next question? So Imtim Salomar, Hotam Hudem why was Rava Mechayev in that first instance? The Zilhacha Ikashira, Zilhacha Ikashira. Because irrespective of what your thought was, whether it was eating or planting, in that case, you always had the minimum shear of Grogeret. Hacha, Kevin, the Afko, at the moment that he took it out, there was not enough to meet the threshold for Achila, which is Grogeret. So Lo Mechayev, therefore he would not be Chayav Oduma. Kevin, the Ilu Ishtik. Had he made no more, said anything more, changed his mind at all, and had no thoughts about it, because he started out with a machshava of Zriah. So since he started with the machshava of Zriah, if he did nothing else and continued and put it down, then he would have been chayav. Even though he changed his mind, because when he changed his mind already, it expanded to a grogeret, to the size that he would be chayav for, but why should that be detrimental, or why should that ruin his original carrying. His original carrying was premised on Zriah, and he said absolutely nothing. He would have finished it up with Zriah and bin Chayav. So now that he changes his mind and says, I'm going to eat it, and he has the requisite size at that point in time, why should that detract from the fact that he's now carried? So the Gemara concludes, Vim Tim Saloma. Generally when the Gemara does this, especially for the Rambam, the Rambam usually paskins, if the Gemara says, Im Tim Saloma, moves on to the next question, it means that the Gemara has come to a conclusion about this doesn't necessarily give you the proof for the reason why, but the Gemara comes to a conclusion, and therefore you'll see many times, that when it says Imtim Salomar, that means that the Ramam is going to pass in that way, that we've concluded that piece. So Imtim Salomar, Kevindilu Ishtik, Lo had he been silent and not thought about it whatsoever, Mechayev, Amachshava Dezriah, he would have been Chayav, for the Machshava Zriah that he started with. Hashanami Mechayev, so to over here, he'll be Chayav. So now we pose the next question. He takes out a Grogeret to eat, Vitzampa, and it shriveled up, it shrunk. Vinimlach alev zriah, and he changed his mind now, and he wants to plant it. Mahu, what's the din over here? So hocha vaday ki If he was silent, ach machshava kamaita lo mechayiv. This wouldn't work here. If he kept the original machshava, he would not have been chayav, because he started out thinking about achila, and he took out the requisite shear for achila, which is a grogeret. But by the time he's going to put it down, it's less than a grogeret. So if it's less than a grogeret, when he puts it down, he will never be able to complete that carrying process for achila. Because the achila itself would never get the requisite shiur, because it shrunk. On the other hand, because he changed his mind to zriah, now when he puts it down, it does have the shiur that you would need for zriah. He started out with achila and a grogeret. He finishes off with less than a grogeret. So had he stayed with that machshava of achila, nothing would have happened. He would not be chayab. But now that he changed his mind to Zriah, which lowers the threshold, maybe he should be Chayav in that case. Mao, what's the din over here? So the Gemara says, Odilma, butter, hashta, azlinan, ume Chayav. Or maybe we go after the now, the here and now, and he is Chayav. We don't worry about what he started with, we worry about what he finished with. And again, once again, the Mind of Gemara says, Vim Tim Salamar, butter, hashta, azlinan. Gemara concludes, yes, let's go after the now. So he would be Chayav in this case. 
What happens in a case of Hotsi Kuru Gogeret Lachila? He takes out a Gogeret worth for eating, which would make him Chayav. Vitzamko, and it shriveled up. Vichazra Vitavko, and then it expanded or swelled again. Mahu, what's the din over here? Yesh Dichuilinian Shabbat, or ain't Dichuilinian Shabbat, Teku. Here the Gemara leaves it as unresolved. Dichui is a concept that really comes up in Kodoshim mostly. Here the Gemara applies it in some other places. Shabbat is one of those places. Dichui means what happens if an object becomes unworthy or unusable for a period of time. So for whatever reason, it's disqualified for a period of time. But that period of time, you don't necessarily interact with it or need it at that time period. So if you were a Kadesh, an animal, for a Hekdesh, and then something happens that disqualifies it, but then that disqualification falls away. Now you want to put it on the Mizbech. So when you're Mekadesh it, the animal was fine. When you want to put it on the Mizbech, it's fine. But something in the interim disqualified it. Does that disqualification in the interim ruin the animal? Does it take it out of the world of Kodshim and say that you can no longer be Makrivit? So the same thing here in Shabbat. When he took it out, he had the requisite shiur. When he put it down, he had the requisite shiur. The problem is in the interim... He lost the shiur that he needed. When he lost the shiur that he needed, did that interrupt his caring? Does that somehow terminate his caring? Because he picked it up when it was a gregorit. He's carrying it now. In the midst of his carrying it, it shrinks below the minimum shiur that he would require. At that point, is it over? Whatever he started with, the caring that he started with is now over. And that means, because if he put it down at this moment, he would be patur. Because he could not get the proper hanacha. The size isn't right hanacha. So it's as if his akira happened, and then that's it. Then when it comes back to the requisite shiur afterwards, we're missing the original akira because it's not connected, and all he has is a hanacha. So do we say that this shrinking in the middle somehow breaks up his carrying so that now the akira and hanacha are separate? Or do we say that at the moments that are important, which is the moment that he picked it up, and the moment that he put it down, at those moments it was the right shiur, and that's all that matters. Because all that matter is those pivotal moments when you pick it up and put it down, anything in between is irrelevant. Or do we say that in between, if it loses this shiur, it interrupts your carrying, and it doesn't allow the akira, the picking up, to be connected to the hanacha, the placement down. And that the Gemara leaves as unresolved or a teku. So the Gemara went through different iterations of cases, and each time it said imtim saloma, which seems to be that the Gemara concluded that this is the case, in this last case, the Gemara leaves it as a take was unresolved with regards to this issue of whether it's decoy in Shabbat or not. Now, Boyimine Rovo Mirav Nachman. So Rovo now asks Rav Nachman, Zarak Kazayit Chuma Bay Tamei Mahu. Person who throws a Kazayit worth of Chuma into a house that is Tamei, what is the din? So he asked him, Lamai, what are you asking about? Ilyin Shabbat. If you turn back to Shabbat, Kigrogeret Vinan. The minimum shiur to be chayav for carrying on Shabbat is a Grogeret if you're going to eat it. So throwing gazayit is less than the requisite shiur, so it should not be chayav on Shabbat. So what's the question? Yan tumah, if you're talking about tumah, kabeitza ochlim bi'inan. You need a minimum shiur of a kabeitza, and you haven't met that minimum shiur, we're talking about a gazayit again, not a kabeitza. Now with regards to tumah, this is a very difficult situation here from a lot of perspectives. One of the most important here is this kabeitza ochlim, that you need a kabeitza ochlim for tumah. There's throughout Shas between Rashi and Tosafot. Rashi himself is not even so consistent. He changes his mind in a couple of places about this. And Tosafot also sometimes brings down an alternative opinion. <coughs> but their basic question is, for food to accept Tumah and to convey Tumah, is there a Shi'ur? 
Now, everybody agrees, for our food to convey tumah to other items, you need a minimum of a kibetzah. You need a minimum of a kibetzah to chlim, to give it significance, and to convey tumah to other items that come into contact with it. On the other hand, to receive tumah, does ochel have a minimum shiur? So Tosafot over here says, that is the case, that there is a minimum shiur that you need, and that's kibetzah to chlim. You need a kibetzah worth of food to accept tumah. Not only to convey tumah, but to accept tumah. Rashi, on the other hand, believes that you can accept Tumah B'Koshuhu. Any amount of food, and the smallest minute amount of food, is Mikabel Tumah. To convey Tumah, you need a Kibetzah. But to accept Tumah, you only need a Mashu. One of Tosafot's proofs is from our Gemara right here, which is, it seems from our Gemara over here, that when we're talking about the Inyan Tumah, that you need a minimum of Kibetzah Ochlim B'Inan. You need a minimum of a Kibetzah over here to make this Tameh. So it sounds like from here that to accept Tumah, to become Tamei, you need a Kibetzah Tochlim. So Tosavot says, that's the case. He does try to explain Rashi's Shita here a little bit. He says, even Rashi believes that food can accept Tumah B'Koshu, still a Heksher the Kabbal Tumah. Which is another requirement that food items that are going to be Mikabal Tumah or Ra'oi the Kabbal Tumah first have to be washed. They have to have water that passes over them before they can be Kabbal Tumah or one of the liquids that the Torah says, Yad Shechadam, that is the acronym for the liquids that are Machshir the Kabbal Tumah. Rashi requires a minimum of a Kibetzah to have Heksher. So even though he says you can accept Tumah with any amount of food, in order to have Heksher the Kabbal Tumah, you need a minimum of a Kibetzah. Tosafot says that he thinks that's what Rashi's opinion is. And that's the way Rashi darshans it in other places. Now what happened here is he tosses this kazayat with the truma, and the kazayat truma lands in this house that is tamay. When it lands in this house that's tamay, the item is becoming, or it seems to be that it's making something else tamay. How does that happen? And so that's what the Gemara explains now. The Olam Linyan Shabbat. The question here is about carrying on Shabbat. There's less than a kabetz of ochlim in the house. And this kazayit of truma now makes it to come to a size of a kabetza mai. What's the din? Because there is a significance given to this item because of truma, maybe that's enough now to say that you've carried on Shabbat. Oh, does Shabbat stand independent? So the question is here, does Shabbat have its own rules and nothing else can impact it? Or, does Shabbat allow us to look in other areas of halacha? And if in other areas of halacha it gives it significance, then for Shabbat it will have significance. This comes up, for instance, with regards to sukkah. It's a important halacha that comes up in sukkah. Mechitzot on Shabbat have certain requirements, and without those requirements it's not classified as a mechitzah on Shabbat. Sukkah has certain dispensations, for instance, by the third wall. You don't need a complete wall for the third wall. If you have just four tefachim of a wall, even one tefach and a little more with lavud and a framed out wall, that's considered to be a wall for sukkah. So now on Shabbat, how do I look at that wall of the sukkah? Do I say, well, because for inyan sukkah, lalacha for sukkah, this is a wall. So if it's good enough wall for sukkah, it's also a good enough wall for Shabbat. And I can carry inside of the sukkah because it's a reshut yachid. Or do I say, no, sukkah independent, Shabbat independent. Yes, it'll be a wall for sukkah. No, it won't be a wall for Shabbat. Gemara is posing the same question here, Linyan Tumah. Shabbat has a minimum requirement of a grogeret. And here you don't meet that minimum requirement. So maybe you just can't carry on Shabbat with this kazayat. You can't be culpable because you don't have the minimum requirement. Or do I say, because within the world of Tumah, I've done something significant. 
I've changed the status of an item. And since I've done something significant within the world of Tumah, does that make it significant for Shabbat, even though it doesn't mean the requirements that Shabbat would require by itself? That's the Gemara's question. I threw a kazayit, a person threw a kazayit worth of Tumah. Kazayit of Tumah is tahor, completely fine, but it does not meet the minimum requirements nor for Tumah, not for Shabbat. But when it lands, it lands into a pile of food. That pile of food, with the joining of the kazayit, makes up a kabetza. Now, when it makes up a kabetza, again, this is part of that machlok we saw before. According to Tosafot, it's much easier to read the Gemara. When it makes up a kabetza, that allows it to be mikabal tumah. The kazayit shumah by itself would not have been mikabal tumah, because it's below the threshold of a kabetza. When it joins with the other food that it lands with, now it has that size of a kabetza. And the shuma can become tamay now, because... Altogether, now you have a package that is Mikabel Tumah, and it allows this food to become Tameh. So within the world of Tumah, something significant happened when it landed. It landed into a Kabetza, and now it becomes Tameh. According to Rashi, it can become Tameh even without the other food there, because you don't have this minimum requirement of Kabetza. It only can convey Tumah when it meets that requirement of Kabetza. I think you can argue for Rashi as well that something significant happened here. Even though the kazayit itself could have become tamay whether there was a kabetz or not, what did happen now when the kazayit landed here is you created an entity that now can pass on tumah. So something within the world of tumah happened here. You've changed the stats and item. Until this point, it could only be mikabel tumah. Now it can convey tumah. So something significant happened in the world of tumah. So that's the Gemara's question here. If it's mitztarif linyan tumah is mikhaev nami linyan shabbat or duma kol linyan shabbat kugorat binan amalei tinitua. We have. A Tanaic work that Abba Shaul Omer Shteilechem Velechem Apanim Shiram Kigrogeret. The Shteilechem and the Lechem Apanim, the Shiur to carry them is a Krogeret. Vamai. Why is that true? Why is the minimum requirement to be Chayav Hotzaah on Shabbat a Krogeret like any other food item? Don't we have other significant Shiurim with regards to Lechem Apanim and the Shteilechem, which is Lema Midlinian Yotzei? Yotze is that you take the item out of the mechitzot that you're allowed to have it in. That is, for instance, shtei lechem lechem apanim must be eaten within the azara, by the kohanim, by the male kohanim. They're not allowed to remove it from the walls of the azara. If they remove it from the walls of the azara, then you have what's called yotze. It left the area where it is kasher to eat or kasher to be, and it becomes pasul immediately. What is the size that has to leave in order to be problematic? Bikazayit. The din of Yotze applies to a minimum of a kazayit. So if there is a minimum shiur in terms of some other halachic realm, for instance, Yotze like kazayit, but in Shabbat, not maybe kazayit. Why don't we say by Shabbat it's also the requisite kazayit? When I take it out of the Azara, I'm carrying it out of the Azara. That's Hotza'ab Shabbat. So I'm carrying it out of the Azara and I'm doing Hotza'ab Shabbat. At the same time, this korban, or really it's the Shteyalechem Lechem Banim, become Pasul Biyotze. What is the minimum requirement to become puzzle biyotze? That's a kazayit. If you're less than a kazayit, you're not going to be held culpable if you eat it, and so on and so forth. It might be a sewer, but it might become yotze, but it's not significant. You need a minimum of kazayit to be significant in yotze. So if it's significant to be yotze with a kazayit, why by Shabbat my patur until you meet the minimum shiur of grogeret? What do you see from this? That the worlds live separately. Shabbat is its own entity. Kodshim is its own entity. You can't bring the two together, and the same will be true by Tumah. Shabbat lives by itself. Tumah has its own dinim, but they don't impact Shabbat. Amar says, Achi Ashta, how can you compare the cases? Ha'atam lo mechayiv adamapik 
you have to remember that there are different points in time or space where things happen. Just because you leave the Azarah does not mean you're Chayav on Shabbat. Because when you leave the Azarah, you can end up in a number of places. When you leave the Azarah, you can either end up in the Azrat Nashim, which is outside the Azrat Yisrael, the main door to the Azrat Yisrael, the Shar Nikanor. If you exit through Shar Nikanor, which is the eastern gateway, eastern doorway to the Ezrat Yisrael, if you exit that way, you're going to land in the Ezrat Nashim. The Ezrat Nashim is not a Rishut Rabim because it's walled in, it may not have the requisite number of people, it's just not a Rishut Rabim. So when you leave the Ezrat Yisrael and go into the Ezrat Nashim, have you already crossed over the threshold for Yotze? The answer is yes. Once it leaves the Ezrat Yisrael, it's already Pasul in terms of Kodashim. In terms of Hotza'ah, are you in violation of moving from a Shut Yachid to a Shut Rabim? The answer is no. So over here, the significance of a Kazayit for Yotze is not relevant at the moment that you do the Hotza'ah. Because your Hotza'ah won't be done until you leave off of the Mikdash completely. The other possibilities are you leave from the other doorways of the Azara. The other ways of the doorways of the Azara land you on Harabayit. But around the Mikdash itself, the walls of the Azara, there was a secondary enclosure called the Chayel, the Chayel, which was a fence, not clear if it was a wicker fence, a woven fence. Some sort of fence was an indication of where non-Jews were allowed to go to. That was the last point on Harabayit where they were allowed to enter. It's talked about with regards to Chanukah that the Yuvanim broke Pirtzot there. They made breaks in it to show that they could enter that area. And later on, they fixed them up. And the Cheshwanim introduced or established that they used to bow down every time you passed one of those breaks that they had made in the Chayel. But nevertheless, what you have is when you exit the Azara, the Azrat Yisrael, you don't land on Harabayit. You land in this area that's still encircled are enclosed with a fence. So again, does Yotze happen immediately when you leave the Azara? The answer is yes. Does Hotzah happen then? The answer is no. Hotzah doesn't happen until you exit the Chayel. You have to exit that fenced in area as well. So since they don't happen simultaneously, the significance of the Gazayit of Yotze can't impact for Shabbat. Because by the time you get to Hotzah of Shabbat, the things already puzzled by Yotze. The significance of the Gazayit already happened before you were ever Chayav for Shabbat. So the two don't happen simultaneously. As opposed to our case over here, Hacha, Shabbat v'tumah v'day hodadi ka'atyon. Over here, the violation of Shabbat and the significance within Tumah happen simultaneously. And when it happens simultaneously, that's where our question is. Our question is posed in an instance where the other halachic realm simultaneous with the violation of Shabbat happens. By our case, it's simultaneous. That's why we have a question. Proof that you tried to be Vishtema Lechem Lechem Panim, it doesn't happen simultaneously, so the question doesn't really arise. Because the Psul of Yotze happens before you ever are in violation of Hotza'ah. And so because of that, it doesn't matter that Yotze has a shear of Kazayit, because it's not going to be relevant. When you're doing Hotza'ah for Shabbat, it's already Pasul. It's not becoming Pasul at that moment, it was already Pasul. Now with our case, when you toss the Kazayit, the Kazayit is not Chayav until you land, until it lands. Now, that involves or supposes a number of items. And then one of them is that we pass on like the Chachamim, that something in motion is considered in motion until it lands. And it has to land on an item that is of some significance or grounded. And you're not Chayav until it lands. We had the position of Rabbi Akiva, which is Kluta Kemisha Hun that something in motion is looked at as being discrete motions. And therefore, when it crosses over from Rishut Rabim to Rishut Yachid, you're Chayav right away. Because it's as if every time that the item moves through the air, it's if you put it down, picked it up, put it down, put it, picked it up. And therefore, when as soon as it crosses into the Rishut Yachid, you'd be Chayav. 
So over here, you have to say what we're holding like the Chachamim, that we are subscribing to the position of the Chachamim, that you're not Chayav until the object lands. So therefore, when you, when the person throws it, they are starting the Akira. The Anachat doesn't happen until it lands. Where does it land? It lands on top of this Ochel, that is Tamei, that is Mashlimo, that finishes it off to be a Kabeitza. At the moment it lands, that's when you have Hanacha, that's when you have Shabbat. At that same moment, that's when the significance for Tumah happens. That this Kazayat of Tumah then becomes Tamei at that moment. What's interesting here is that there are a number of suppositions that the Brayta makes about what happened. Number one is that it was a Kazayat Tumah that you threw. What happens if it's less than a Kazayat of Tumah that you threw? Why should there be any difference in the Din? When you threw less than a Kazayat Tumah, and it lands, and it's mashlim to a kabetzah, the same thing happened. So why does it have to be a kazayit, and not a chatzi kazayit? That's the first thing that we have to at least address. Why is that the case? Tosafot asks the question. He says, because the item itself, even though the significance is attained at the moment it lands in the house, but the item itself has to have some sort of significance by itself. And that's what he says. He says that kazayit worth of chumah is restricted from Zarim eating it, but if it becomes Tamei, it also now has a significance as a Kezayit Truma that is Tmeya. And therefore, he says, Mekomakom Kezayit Chamir Tvei. Kezayit is more Chamor, Sharezayit Hu Shi'ur Lokot Allah B'chol Makom. That anytime you get Malkot, it has to be a minimum Shir of Kezayit. V'gdavka L'bayit Tamei. Another thing he says is, it has to land in a Bayit Tamei. Why does the house have to be Tamei? Why does the bright insist that it be a bayit to me? A bayit to her, look, there are two things that happen here that we say that cause the problem with the truma. One is it has to have its own significance, which is that it's the size of kazayit, because kazayit has significance other places in the Torah, it has significance for Lukot Olav. And without that significance, even if in the end it ends up landing in Tuma and making up a kabetza, that would not be enough. That's why a chatzit kazayit is not enough, it has to be a kazayit. Second thing is it has to be a bayit to me, not a bayit to her. Why don't you say that there's significance to this item? Because it's a sur lazar. That a kazayit of truma cannot be eaten by a zar, even if it's tahor. So why are you looking for truma to make it significant? The item is significant within the world of truma because it's a kazayit. A kazayit is something that you would be chayaban for zarut. If someone who was a non kohen came and ate it. Tosavot says, and this is what many of the Rishonim say here, that it has to be that the Isur is generated by the violation of the Isur Shabbat. This Kezayit of Chuma, if it wasn't Tamei, can Azar eat it? The answer is no. Can Azar not eat it before you threw it? The answer is yes. You couldn't eat it beforehand. When it lands, he can't eat it? No, he can't eat it when it lands. So the Hotza'ah did nothing to change the significance of this item. Since the Hotza'ah itself did nothing to change the significance of this item, you can't say because it's significance by Truman, by Azar, therefore by Hotza'ah it should also be significant. When we say that Hotza'ah is significant is when the Hotza'ah does something to change the status of the item. And that's only true by Tuma. Over here, the item was Truma Tehora until this point in time. When it lands, it becomes Truma Tmeya. Something happened to this item, significant, which is now, not only can Zarim not eat it, Kohanim can't eat it anymore. So this item's changed its status because of what you did, because you threw it. Before this point, it was Kosher Lekohanim, Asur Lezarim. But now when it lands, not only is it not Kosher Lezarim, it's not Kosher Lekohanim anymore, because it became Chumat Meah. 
So since you generated something significant within the world of Truma and Tum'ah, through the action of Hotza'ah, that's when we say, is that significant enough to be Hotza'ah? But just because an item is significant somewhere else in Alokha, doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be Chayav for Hotza'ah. And that's why Tosafot says that the Brite here is very particular about what the case is. That it has to be, number one, a minimum of a kazayit, so that it is significant within the world of truma. Number two is that it went into a bayit tamay, not into a bayit tohor, so that the hotza'ah itself is what generates the problem, and not that the problem existed or pre-existed. And the other thing is zarak, that it was thrown. And that is, again, because, because when you throw it, then the only time it becomes a hanacha is when it lands. On the other hand, if you were to carry it and place it down, once you reach within three tfakim of the ground, it's considered as if the anacha happened. And that's before it comes into contact with the tumah. It's only when it's thrown that it has to come to a sta- stop or stationary to consider anacha. So for all three of these halachot, the bright is particular that it's zarak, a kazayit, and that we're talking about a bayit tamay, in order that what happens is when the hotza'ah is completed, that's when the significant event for tumah happens. And because of that, that's why the Gemara poses the question over here, since it's significant for Tumah, therefore it should be significant for Shabbat. Again, the Gemara does not come to any conclusion about this. It leaves it inconclusive. Then, the Gemara If in our Mishnah we discussed this yesterday, that if he takes it out, intending to plant it, then he changes his mind and brings it back in, thinking that he's going to eat it now. When he changes his mind and brings it in to eat it, he's not culpable for that return. The Gemara says, Pshita. What's the question here? That he threw it into the silo, into the storehouse. And the area where he threw it is clear. The first thing Abayah says is, when he turns around and he changes his mind, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say, oh, forget it, I'm going to eat it. Forget it, I'm not planting this, I'm going to eat it. That's what we thought until now. He's taking it out to plant it. Then he decides, you know what, forget it, I'm not planting this, I'm going to eat it instead. So when he does that, we said it changes the requirement for a shiur. On his way out, he was chayiv or culpable because he had the requisite shiur for zriah. On his way back in, when he thinks he's going to eat it, he doesn't have the requisite shiur. He doesn't have the minimum shiur. So he's not going to be culpable in that case. But what Abayi suggests over here is what happens if he's silent? He walks out to plant it, and then he doesn't say anything. And then he just takes it and tosses it into the storehouse. The action that he did indicates that he changed his mind. Because if he pl- it's still intended on planting it, he wouldn't have thrown it into the storehouse. So that already is a clear indication that he doesn't plan on planting it anymore. He plans on eating it, putting it to the storehouse with the rest of the grain that's going to be eaten. But, on the other hand, Makamonikar, the place that it landed, is still recognizable. So if he wanted, he could walk in there, pick it out, and take it out again. So that's the question over here. Maldutem, I would have thought, came into Makamonikar, since the location is visible. Bimilte kamaita koi. Since he intended when he took it out to plant it, and he hasn't said anything or done anything that negated that thought, maybe it should remain that way. Kamash Malon, the answer is, Once he throws it into the silo of the storehouse, that is a nullification of his original intent to plant it. It's clear here now that he intends to eat it and not plant it, even though he can walk in there and pick it out again. But because he threw it, the action of throwing it in there and dismissing it as a plantable item and just putting it with everything else, that in itself is enough to negate the thought process that I wanted to plant it originally. Okay, next Mishnah. 
He took food from inside the house and he places them down on the threshold outside. Ben Shechazar Votzian, whether he then, after he placed it down, picks them up and takes them out. Ben Shechazar Acher, whether someone else came then and picked them up off the threshold and took them out into the Shudarabim. Patur. In all these cases, you are patur. Midnei Shlasa, Melachto, Bevat, Achat. Because you have a problem over here, you don't have an Akira. And then Hanacha. Did the Akira from the Rashut Yachid was in the house? Places it down on the Iskopa. So he has an Akira without a Hanacha. Then someone comes and picks it up <coughs> off the Iskopa and places it down in the Rashut Rabim. They have Hanacha without an Akira. The Gemara is going to ask the obvious question, what type of Iskopa are we speaking about over here? Because that will influence what the outcome of the case is. So we'll get to that in one second. Kupa Shimlea Peirot. You have a basket full of vegetables, fruits. Benanali Skopa, and you place it onto the threshold. Hachitsuna, on the outside. Afopi Shavot Peirot Mi Bachut. Even though the majority of the items that are in the basket are outside, have crossed already over into Rishut Rabim. Patur, actually you'd see it called a Kupa. Patur until you remove the entire basket. Alright, so now the Gemara is going to investigate this Mishnah. Hai Skopa. This is scopa my. What type of scopa, what type of threshold are we talking about that's outside the door? Ilema is scopa trushutarabim. If you're talking about a scopa vrushutarabim, patur. Then you should be patur. Ha come up, vrushutarabim. When you took it out of your house and you placed it down on this threshold outside, you're chayav right away. You picked it up out of the vrushutarabim, which is your house, and you put it down on this scopa, which is classified as a vrushutarabim. It's classified as a Rishut Rabim. You should be Chayav right away. You just took something from Rishut Yechid to Rishut Rabim. How can these scope will be classified as a Rishut Rabim? Two possibilities. One is that it's below three Tfachim. It's less than three Tfachim off the ground. Therefore, it's Batel to the Rishut Rabim. And it's a part and parcel of the Rishut Rabim. The other way is, if it's nine Tfachim high. If it's nine Tfachim high, and it's used for B'nai Rishut Rabim, the Katfi to adjust their loads or to rest their loads on because it's the proper height or it's a good height for them to rest on, then it becomes part of the Rishut Rabim if it is nine Tfachim high. So if it's less than three Tfachim or it is nine Tfachim, then it could be useful for the Rishut Rabim and it's classified as a Rishut Rabim. And therefore, if you took it out of your house and placed it down there, you should be Chayav. Ella, what are you going to suggest? It's Skopa Rishut Yachid. It's a threshold of Rishut Yachid. Rishut Yachid requires a minimum of ten Tfachim high and four by four tvachim in terms of width and length. So here, if this threshold is at least ten tvachim high, and four by four, it's classified as a rishut yachid. In that case, true, when you take it out of the house, and you place it down there, you move from rishut yachid to rishut yachid. Fine, great. But, when the person, or you, picks it up from the scopa, and then takes it out to rishut yachid, why did the Mishnah say you are a patur? You've now taken it from rishut yachid out to a and you should be chayav. And that's what the Gemara says. If it's a scroll, it should be ben shechazar v'otzian, ben shechotzian acher, patur, hamapik mi rishut yachid, rishut arabim. You're taking it out from rishut yachim to rishut arabim. Why should it be patur? Ela, iskopa karmelit. It must be that this iskopa has this in-between status. And that status is a karmelit. Karmelit is anything from above three tfachim, below nine tfachim, and four by four. So it has a four by four space of length width. And it's between three and nine tfachim high. So it's not significant enough to reach Rishut Yachid, but it's not insignificant enough to be a Rishut Rabim. That is classified as a Carmelite. Now, Mira Torah, Carmelite has no status, and a person who carries into a Carmelite or out of a Carmelite is Mutar. But the Chachamim made the Carmelite into a location which is not a Rishut Yachid and not a Rishut Rabim. So, Mina Torah, you are patur. Patur aval asur. So, therefore, someone who's okay from the Rishut Yachid takes it out of their house 
and places it down on the threshold, which is a Carmelite. They're patur because min they did nothing. But midr it's a sur because they did an akira and they were meniach down in the Carmelite. Then if that same person either picks it up from the Carmelite and now takes it out to Rishit Rabim, or another third party does it, then you're taking from a Carmelite, picking up off a Carmelite and putting it down in Rishit Rabim. Again, midoraita, you've done nothing, so therefore you're patur. But midr that is a sur. And that's the explanation of our Mishnah that says patur in this case. Comes to teach us that because he placed it down in the Carmelite, that's what gives the dispensation to say you're not culpable for a chatat in this case. It had he not placed it down in the Carmelite, you would be chayav. What does that tell us? Our Mishnah is not like Ben Azai. Long term memory, you have to go all the way back to the first parak where you mentioned Ben Azai. Ben Azai said, and Hayamud Bet, the time you have a bright, motzi michanut the platya. Someone who takes out from the store. The store is classified as a rishuta yachid. Platya is the main thoroughfare. Is the rishuta rabim terach stav or sitio through the area of the colonnades. Chayav. He is chayav because he carried from rishuta yachid to a rishuta rabim. Now he passed through this area of the colonnades, which is a quote unquote karmelit, an area that's not classified as a rishuta rabim. That doesn't matter because he did the akira from rishuta yachid and he put it down in rishuta rabim. Doesn't matter that he passed through this area on the way. On the other hand, Ben Azai says you're put to her. Ben Azai put there because he passed through a Carmelite on the way. You have to go from a Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim directly, otherwise you're not Chayav. Over here where you pass through this area that's not classified as a Rishut Rabim because colonnades make it difficult to navigate through that area and it doesn't have clear thoroughfare. Since it doesn't have clear thoroughfare, it's not classified as a Rishut Rabim. By passing from the Rishut Yachid through this area of the colonnades, out to the Rishut Rabim, you pass through an area that you're not Tayyab for. According to Ben Azai, even though you didn't stop in that area, it still removes the culpability. Our Mishnah is not saying that. Our Mishnah is saying the only reason you're Patu over here is because you stopped and put it down on the Carmelite in between. Our Mishnah is like the Chachamim, the position of the Chachamim, that you must stop in that area in order for it to nullify the carrying from Rishut Yachid to Rishut Rabim. And that's what our Mishnah says, you have to put it down on the Carmelite. On the other hand, Ben Azai says, even if you don't stop, it disqualifies or nullifies they carrying from Shudah Chid Rishud Abim, and that's obviously not what our Mishnah says. Our Mishnah says you have to place it down. Our Mishnah doesn't say if he walks from inside his house to the Shudah Abim, he's Patur, because he walked through the threshold. That our Mishnah does not say, and that's what the Gemara said in Makdita and the Log Ben Azai. Now, as far as the Kupa, the basket that is mentioned in our Mishnah, Amar Chizkia, Lo Shanu Elove Kupa Mleya Kishuim Veduluim. Our Mishnah is talking about a case where we're talking about long and large vegetables. So, therefore, when you place the basket on the edge, of the Rishut Rabim and the threshold over there, even though the majority of the basket is in the Rishut Rabim, nevertheless, there's a portion of every piece of vegetation that's in there that's still in the Rishut Yachid. Talking about a long zucchini, a long gourd. So that long zucchini, okay, the zucchini or three quarters of the zucchini is in Rishut Rabim, but there's still a part of the zucchini that's in Rishut Yachid. And that's why you are patur in our Mishnah. On the other hand, on the other hand, if the basket was full of mustard seed, chayav, there you'd be chayav. Because if three-quarters of the basket is outside, that means that three-quarters of the mustard seeds are in the Rishut Rabim. Each seed is small enough that it itself is out in the Rishut Rabim. A quarter of them aren't, but the three-quarters are, and you're going to be chayav for those three-quarters you moved out into the Rishut Rabim. Alma Kasavar, you must conclude from this that Chizkiah believes, Egekli lo Eged. The basket, joining them together, doesn't make them into a single entity. So here you have a basket full of mustard seed, you can look at it one of two ways. You can either look at it as a single item, a basket full of mustard seed, 
Or you can look at that as a basket full of discrete items, tons of mustard seeds. So it's clear that Chizkiah looks at them as discrete items, as full of mustard seeds and baskets irrelevant. So that shows you that the basket is not a unifying force over here, according to Chizkiah. On the other hand, Rabbi Yochanan Amara Filum Leachar Dal Patur. Even if it's full of mustard seed, you are patur. Alma kasavar must be that Rabbi Yochanan holds egeglish meyeged. That the basket makes it into a single entity. Even though you have discrete items in the basket, until the entire basket has left the Rishut Yachid, you're not chayav, because that is what you're carrying now. You're carrying a basket full of mustard seed. You're not carrying mustard seed anymore. Amr Abzera, Matnita Deloki Chizkiya Deka, Veloki Rabbi Yochanan Deka. Our Mishnah has difficulty for Chizkiah and difficulty for Rabbi Yochanan. It's a problem for Chizkiah because it says, Until you remove the entire basket, you're not chayav. Until the entire basket is left. Had all the vegetables left the area, you would still not be chayav. Why is that? According to Chizkiah, it should have been that as soon as the vegetables leave the whole area, that's enough to make you chayav. You don't need the basket to leave. Alma Kasavar, it seems from our Mishnah, that the Kli itself is a unifying force in the Mishnah, because until the entire basket leaves, you're not Chayav. Rabbi Yochanan it's a problem for Rabbi Yochanan Diktani. that even if the majority of the fruits are outside, time of the road Peirot. The reason you're not Chayav in the Mishnah is because only row of the Peirot are outside. Ha Kola Peirot. If all the Peirot were outside, even though the basket's still on the inside, as long as all the fruits are on the outside, Chayav. Amokasavar, from a mission, it sounds like a glee, lo that the glee is not a unifying force in the Mishnah. Now, the Gemara says, elakasha. So it's a question on both of them. And now, the Gemara has to answer. The truth is, the real question is on the Mishnah. The Mishnah has two statements, that when you're medayek, the statements are contradictory. One statement seems to say that the basket matters, and one statement seems to say that the basket doesn't matter. So the way that Rabbi Zera formulated is that it's a problem for Chizkiah, a problem for Rabbi Yochanan. The truth is a problem for the Mishnah. And so Chizkiah and Rabbi Yochanan are going to reconstruct the Mishnah, amend the Mishnah so that it's consistent, but it'll be consistent in their position. So that each one of them will do that to answer the problem. Chizkiah metaretz the Tamei, Rabbi Yochanan metaretz the Tamei. Chizkiah metaretz the Tamei, Chizkiah explains it according to his reasoning, until you take out all the Kupa'ah, when is that speaking about the Kupa'ah, Malayah, Kishu'im, Bidu'im? That's a medical full of zucchini and gourds. Aval malaya chardal. It's full of mustard seed. Nasikamisho tzid kola kupa. It's as if you took out the entire kupa. So not like when we were dyke before that the whole kupa has to leave and not just the fruits. But the answer is that when you take out the items or the mustard seeds, it's as if you took out the entire basket when you take it out because there the basket is irrelevant. So that's how Hiskia rereads the Mishnah to fit in to his position. Rabbi Yochanan Mataretz Latamei, Af Bishro Perot Pachutz, even though the majority of the fruit are outside, Velo Ro Perot Bilvad, not only when it's the rove, El Afi Kola Perot, even if all the Perot are outside Potur, Aj Yotzid Kola Kupa, until you've taken out the entire Kupa, you're not Chayav. So both of them reread the Mishnah to make it consistent with their opinion. Metevei, we have a question. Amotzi Kupat Harochlim, person who takes out, again we had this yesterday, the spice dish or the spice of the perfume sellers, that have what we assume are a large tray with discrete perfumes or items within it. So he takes the kubat rochlim and now like he's propa yichitzona. He puts it on the outer part of the threshold. Even though the majority of the items are outside, you still are not kayav until the entire basket or the entire plate or whatever it is that joins them together leaves. So that sounds like Rabbi Yochanan's position. That until the entirety of the basket leaves, then you are not chayav. 
And that's a problem for Chizkiah. Kosakadatcha, we thought that this brightness on the case, Bitsarare, when the spices that were there are ground down. They are like the mustard seeds. They are small discrete items. And therefore it's a kasha of the Chizkiah. And it's a problem for Chizkiah, because over here it's the equivalent of his mustard seed. And you see that the brightness says you're not chayav until the entire thing leaves. So the answer is obviously that if we say Kasakadatcha, we thought, the answer is what we thought was wrong. And what do we think? We thought that it was talking about these items that are wrapped up. Sorry, they're wrapped in, they're wrapped up because they were smaller, discrete items. We're talking about ornacy. Talking about cases where we're talking about raw spices. For instance, cinnamon sticks. Or items before they were ground down. So therefore they are much longer. And that would be the equivalent of the diluim and kishuim for chizkiah in the Mishnah. And that's why you're not chayab until you take the entire thing out. Because these are items that have length to them. And you, even when you took it out three quarters of the way, a portion of each item is still on the inside. So we bring a question from Perak Meruba and Baba Kamo. Someone who steals a wallet on Shabbat, Chayav, is Chayav. You're Chayav for stealing before you violate the Shabbat. If you drag this item out from the place of the Balim, then he's patur for stealing because Isur Gnevav, Isur Shabbat Baim Kechat. The violation of Shabbat happens simultaneous with the stealing of the item. So now this is an important principle in the Gemara, which is what's called Kimle Derabimine. If a person is Chayav Mita, a person is culpable when it's going to, could receive a death penalty for what he does, then we drop all other issues that he has at least monetary issues. For other things, it's a question about what you drop and whether Karet does the same thing. These are questions in other places in Shas. But the basic idea being, if a person is in violation of Shabbat, and the same time he's in violation of Shabbat, he does something that makes him chayav, obligated to pay money, he won't have to pay the money because he's paying with his life. There are two different ways to formulate that. One is that, since he's getting the larger punishment, the larger punishment covers everything. Or the other possibility is that he has a suspended sentence. He's going to get killed, then we don't make him culpable for the other things. We can't punish him here, but in Shemayim he's still chayav. So Achoshan talks about that. If that's the case, there might be an Indian of, let's say, the day Shemayim. Even someone who is patur, because they are now taking the death penalty, it might still behoove them to pay back the money that they stole. Because they're not patur, they're not cleared, they're not exonerated from that. It's a deferred sentence because they're being killed. If that's the case, they should pay it back in order to clear up the problem. So that would be enough community between how you think it functions. So over here you have a person stealing and a person violating Shabbat. If he violates Shabbat at the same time he steals, then he will be patur from the stealing. If he steals before he violates the Shabbat, he'll be chayav the stealing because they're independent of each other. They're two independent items. So the first case is a case where he picks up the money purse, he picks up the wallet, and he walks out with it. As soon as he picks up the wallet, he stole it. That's Hagba. Hagba is one of the kinyanim. You do Hagba, you're chayav for stealing. When he's a chayav rotzad, not till he leaves the area, until he walks out of this reshuta yachid into the reshuta rabim. So the two were not simultaneous, that's the first case. The second case is where he doesn't pick it up, but drags it from the reshuta yachid out into the reshuta rabim. If he drags it from the reshuta yachid into the reshuta rabim, when does he chayav rotzad b'shabbat? When he leaves, the reshuta yachid moves into the reshuta rabim. When does he be chayav b'geneva? He's chayav b'geneva when he takes it out of the possession of the owner and moves it into the reshuta rabim. Now that's somewhat problematic. The Gemara there deals with it because you can't have a Kenyan Mishicha in a Rishut Rabim. So the Gemara says it's talking about Sidei Rishut Rabim. It's the size of the Rishut Rabim where Mishicha works. Anyway, he pulls it out. 
and he's chayav. Simultaneous with being chayav for Otah, he's now making a kinyan for Gneva. In that case, since they happen simultaneous, he'll be chayav for Shabbat, but patur on the Gneva. Because they happen simultaneously, and we have Kimle to Rabbi Minei. Now, the Gemara says, I don't understand this. Because based on what we've said until now, if you hold like Rabbi Yochanan, that a utensil makes an item a single entity, the stealing happened before you violated Shabbat. Because he's dragging this money purse or this sack out of the Balabayit's house. When is he going to become culpable for violating the Shabbat? Not until the entire sack leaves. Because we said here that if you're inside of a pouch, you're inside of something, the pouch designates it then as a single item. So if it's a single item, then you're not chayav until it exits. But in terms of stealing, what are you trying to steal? You're not trying to steal the sack. You're trying to steal the money that's inside the sack. When does the money leave? The money leaves before the sack leaves in its entirety. That means that you were chayav or culpable for stealing before you ever became culpable for Shabbat. Stealing doesn't have this din that there's an aggregation by the sack. As soon as you take the money out, you're chayav. So over here, you took the money out, you're chayav. The sack leaves, you're chayav for Shabbat. They did not happen simultaneously. So that's a question on Rabbi Yochanan's position. The Gemara says, wait a minute. If you took it out with the mouth side, that would be true. You took it out from the bottom of the sack, not the front of the sack. If you took it out with the front of the sack, you could stop before the sack was completely out, and the coins would already be, or whatever was inside it would be outside of the balim's reshut, the opening, where you would open it up from, like a purse or a wallet, the side that you would open it up from. So when you open up that side, then you could access the item that you took out. So if you took it out with the mouth face outward, then even if you didn't get the entire sack or purse out, you could just open it out, stick your hand in and take out the money that you stole without ever having the entire purse or sack leave the Rishut Balim. So again, you could be Chayav for the Gneva before you were Chayav Shabbat. But if you did it the opposite way around, you pulled it out from the base of the purse, and the mouth was towards the inside, as you dragged it out, even when you got it out, and the coins were out, but the sack was still on the inside, you cannot access the coins that are inside. If you can't access the coins, you need to pull the entire purse or sack out before you can access them, then it does happen simultaneously. Hey, what about the seam? Who says he can't access it? If you're talking about a purse or you're talking about a sack here, he could just cut it along the seam and he could access the money. So there is accessibility to it, even if he didn't take it out from the mouth side, the opening side, took it out from the base side, but you could still access it without taking the whole sack out. So if he wants to do it, he could take it out, cut the seam and take it out. My says we're talking about Nazco over here. We're talking about pieces of metal, long pieces of metal. So it becomes the equivalent of Dluim and Kishuim. If that's the case, no item leaves until the entire sack leaves. My says, wait a minute, Bikavandika Shansin Mapikleyad Pume, Vishari Vishokil, Vishansa Yagide Migavai. Well it has straps on the top to tie the purse or the sack down. Those straps are problematic now because what he can do is he can drag the ba- the bag out or the purse out from its bottom. And he's dragging it along, and the mouth now reaches the threshold, or the point where it's going to cross over. He stops. And then what does he do? He unties the straps, and he sticks his hand in and pulls out whatever's inside. The straps still remain on the inside. So a part of this sack or purse are still on the inside. If they're on the inside, you are. Patur the Gabe Shabbat. But you're Chayav Geneva, because the item that you wanted to take out, the metal, whatever it is, is completely out. So here again, we come up with a case where it's not so simple that they happen simultaneously. Then my answer is... There were no straps on this thing. That's one possibility. 
There were straps, but the straps were wrapped entirely around the sack. In order to undo the sack and undo the straps, the entire sack would have been out already, and the straps would have been out. So once you've done that, the Gneva and the Shabbat happen simultaneously. So the case has to be a case where he's dragging it from the base of the purse or the sack, he's dragging it out from the Balim's Rishut into the Tzidei Rishut Arabim, and it's got the straps around it that are either wrapped directly around it, and don't, don't extend back into the Rishut Balim, or it doesn't have straps at all, and therefore it's simultaneous with the time that you steal it, because you have ex- access to it, is the time that you violate the Shabbat. Because of that, you have simultaneously come into that violation, and that's why over there you are... Patur, and it's not a question on Rabbi Yochanan. B'chein amar Ravah. Ravah said the same thing. Lo shanu ela b'kupah mleak shuim duim. So I have a basket full of these long vegetables. Avam leak hardal chayav. But if it was full of mustard seed, chayav like chizkiah. Alma kasavar egekli lo shmeheged. Abay amar. Abay said afilu mleak hardal patur. Even if it's full of seed, then you are patur like Rabbi Yochanan. We know that they switched their positions. That's what the Gemara says. They originally had a different position, and then they changed them. Now the Gemara says, wait a minute, if that's the case, we have a problem. Because Rami Abaye Adabaye Rami Durova Rava. We have a question in Abaye's consistency and Rava's consistency. Someone who takes out fruits through Shudrabim. Bayamar biyad, if you carry it out with your hand, chayav. Bikli, patur. If you take it out of your utensil, you are patur. Ravamar biyad, patur. If you take it out with your hand, you're patur. Bikli, chayav. Take it out of your utensil, you are chayav. So over here, what do you see? You see from the position of Abaye. Abaye says your hand, when you carry it out, you're still chayav. Why are you chayav? Your hand is attached to your body. You shouldn't be chayav until your entire body exits the area. Yet he's saying that you are chayav. That sounds like egekli loshmeged, or the eged guf loshmeged. Despite the fact that Abaye, we said before, said, Egekli, Shmei He holds like Rabbi Yochanan. So how do we reconcile that? Rav is just the opposite. Rav says, Egekli, Lo Yet when it's in your hand, he says, if you go out, that you are Patur. Why? Because it's attached to your body. So it's to consider as if you didn't walk out with it. So if that's the case, we have an inconsistency in their opinions. The truth is, even internally there, their opinions are inconsistent because it mentions Yad and Kli. And by Yad, they say one thing, and by Kli, they say another thing. And within that statement, it seems they're inconsistent. The Gemara says, Ipuch. Flip their opinions with regards to Yad. So now, it has to be clear to the Gemara that this argument that Bayan Rava had were after they changed their opinions. Otherwise, it's not a question. Could have just answered that this is the position of Bayan Rava before they changed their minds. But it's clear that the Gemara believed that this was after they changed their minds. And that's why it asks. It says, if a Bayan believes Eklish may Eklish like Rabbi Yochanan, and Rava holds like Chizkiah, then how could they have these positions in this statement of Itmar Amotzi Perot? The answer is, Ipoch, we're going to flip their positions in order that they are consistent. The Bible says, Biyad Chayav. How could it be that when you carry it out in your hand, you are Chayav? Vatsnan. Don't we have the Mishnah, the first Mishnah in our Masechta? Pashat Balabayate Yadolachutz. The Balabayate takes it, puts it outside in his hand. And then he takes it out of his hand from the outside. Oh, the Baal Bait sticks his hand out, and he puts something in there. They are both patur. So how can it be over there? We see there that your hand being separated from the goof is not true. It just can't happen. Because your hand is out there and you bring it in, or because you took something out and put it in your hand and you didn't drop it, and they took it out of your hand, you're not chayav, you're not culpable. How can someone here say, biyad you are chayav? How could you separate the hand from the body? Yumar says, that's not a problem. That's the difference here is, hotam lamalamigilam, well, hacha lamata migimo. 
Depends where your hand is. Is your hand above three tefachim or below three tefachim? If your hand is above three tefachim, it's not considered if it's settled somewhere. You have an akira without a hanacha, or you have hanacha without an akira. So because of that, it's separated. Your hand is considered to be a distinct entity that's still attached to your goof because it's above three tefachim. If your hand's within three tefachim of the ground, your hand becomes batel to the ground, and it's as if it landed on the ground. So in our case over here, we're talking about a case where it's below three tefachim. So if it's below three tefachim, when you took the akira and the anacha, then that's significant because your hand is not considered attached to the goof, it now becomes a part of the karka. In the case, or the mishnah, in the beginning of Shabbat, where it says that it was a separate entity and you're not chayav, that's when it's above three tefachim. Now Rashi concludes here, that time mishum delo nach, below mishum eged gufa. Rashi says, we've dropped the idea that the hand is attached to the goof, and has nothing to do with the body and the hand. It has to do with the fact that either the hand is above three or below three. Below three, it's considered to be as if it rested. Above three, your hand is not considered to be a significant area to have it rest. And that's the only thing that's being discussed over here. On the other hand, the Re believes that that's what makes it into an agate. It's still considered part of your goof when it's above three tfachim because it now is given independence from the ground. When it's below three tefachim, since it's not independent from the ground, it's considered separate from your body. So the re connects the two. That's the question here. When we conclude in the end that you're chayab bayad, does that mean the Gemara's dropped the idea that we're talking about eged or the concept of eged klishme eged? And it has nothing to do with being attached to your body or not. Somebody has to do with, is this considered to be placement? Above three tefachim, not placement, Rashi. Below three tefachim, it is placement. According to the re, the two are still connected. If your hand's above three tefachim, it's Considered to be an independent enough entity now that it's connected to your goof, it's considered to be an Gitschmeagit. If it's lower than three tzvachim, your hand is batel to the karka, and it's separated from your body. If it's separated from your body, then you no longer have this idea of eget goof shmeagit. That's the question of how the Gemara concluded over here, according to Rashi or Tosafot, the idea being the same, that if it's above three tzvachim, you're not going to be culpable. If it's below three tzvachim, you will be culpable. Okay, we'll stop over here.